Welcome to the Athletic MBA Show, Monday through Friday, on the Athletic Podcast Network. Bruh, New York strip steak? This is the Basketball Buds. Braised beef short ribs? Dang! With Zach Harper and your favorite athletic writer. Get mad at me, bro. I'm gone. Welcome to the Athletic NBA Show podcast on the Athletic Podcast Network. This is Basketball's edition because it's Monday. I'm Zach Harper. Coming up on today's show, we've got Ty Lue deciding the Clippers aren't so bad. We've got Daryl Morey stepping down in Houston. We've got some Clippers drama. We've got all kinds of stuff, uh, but we are going to start off with a very fun topic and I'll bring in Trevon Edwards, Wozni Lambray, and Jay King. And the fun topic is, guys, we get to shit on the Rockets. And now a lot of people are going to say, okay, okay, Rockets fans are going to say there's a media bias. It's not that there's a media <laughs> bias against the Rockets. I personally have not liked the style of Daryl Morey in the media, right? Mm-hmm. I actually respect everything he's done as a GM. As, now, I, In his job. For in his sure. job. Yeah, in his job of like personnel decisions and everything. Yep. So my issue has been like, you know, uh, well, I don't know if I can outright say this. I'll just say... It seems like people who get information from Daryl Morey seem to like really cape for him in the media, right? Which that that happens. That happens That's with with not just Daryl Morey. That happens. Biz. Yeah, it's the nature of the biz, right? So that happens a lot. Um, what I would say though is then it came into this thing, and Waz, I don't know if you remember this, but like in the in the blog era, like the real blog era of the NBA, exactly. everyone was constantly saying, and by everyone, I mean just mean like the bloggers. We're right. constantly saying like, oh, Daryl Morey wins another trade, no matter what the trade was. It was Daryl Morey wins another trade. Daryl Morey runs this thing, blah, blah, blah. And he's good at his job, and he pulled off some great deals, and he built really good teams with ever without ever like having to you know, turn them into losers first and everything, right? Like I don't think they ever had a losing season that's, under that's his control. That's my favorite thing about Morey, honestly. Yeah. But like the whole time, I'm just like, I mean, he's good, but like – what Masai Ujiri has done is so much more impressive to me than what Daryl Morey has done. What Daryl Morey did do, though, is he threw analytics in everyone's face. It was used before him. It will be used long after him. But was it, they threw analytics? Like he threw analytics in the face and said, "Like no, this is why we do stuff, and everyone's gonna have to accept the math." Yeah, and I think it spoke to something sort of different too that you saw in blogger media. It's kind of like. For whatever reason, the media members have a harder time identifying with the players, right? I, I guess some of them see them as, I don't know, superhuman, not relatable, whatever, whatever you want to call it. But Maury, they could identify with. It's like, see, we're, we never came close to playing in the NBA or was never really athletic, but we could still be valuable people in this because we're so smart about it right like and for whatever reason media members gravitated towards that and i guess they could just see themselves in daryl morey which is whatever that's neither here nor there that's for another day um and i think that was behind a lot of the love that and and sort of the goodwill that he engendered amongst the, the the media uh what i will say is something that you touched upon in your opening remarks zach is that houston never bottomed out they never did a, you know, a full rebuild. We're, we're selling off all of our, our decent players. We're going to bottom out. We're going to get lottery picks. We're going to build through the draft, yada, 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 yada. They never did that. 
They've been a competent playoff level organization and even championship contending in the two Chris Paul years um, level of organization. And they never took the easy way out, quite frankly. Um, I think strategically, it's the easiest thing. The other side where you, you know, you feed your fans terrible basketball for two, three years in a row is not easy on the fans. And it kind of, you know, it can hurt your gate receipts and all of that stuff. But like just strategically, just saying, all right, I'm going to stink until I draft the next KD or whoever, um, that just seems the simplest thing. And Maury, what they pulled off was not simple. You know, building around the margins and just getting things, getting the right guys that aren't superstars and making your team 50-plus wins every year for 12 years, that's not something to be poo-pooed, you know what I'm saying? Especially, you know, from where I sit as somebody who grew up in New York City and watched the Knicks be utterly incompetent for 20 fucking years so to watch this guy have somebody like have put a competent product on the floor every single season without ever bottoming out, I think is impressive and is something that, you know, should be applauded. Now, is he's, you know, is he some type of wizard like the way people would have you believe? I don't think so. But I think he's been you cannot say Daryl Morey has been a bad GM in his tenure. No, no, no. He's very, very good. He's very good and was mostly successful. He never won a championship and never made it to the finals, but he was still very, very successful. Um, Baker Jayfield, as you called yourself. <laughs> that, it's a bad name. Yeah, it's a bad yeah, You're not supposed to air that. That was off-air conversations when I was I'm sure Gino, I'm sure giving uh, my support to, to Baker Mayfield, who's not a very good quarterback. Right. Right, but you called your boy. Um... Maury came from the Celtics, yeah. right? Like Daryl Maury was a, was a member was in the Celtics front office before he took over, or I guess became assistant general manager in Houston, and then took over. Uh, I think a year after he joined the the Rockets organization. Um, do you notice like fingerprints of what he did on on what the Celtics do, or is that is that still mostly just like Dan, Danny Ainge and and Mike Zarin like kind of run it this way? I mean, I guess the similarities would be that Maury was never afraid. And I, I think that's one of Ainge's strengths is that he's not afraid whether it's to go out and trade for somebody or to not trade somebody. Um, he's never been afraid of the backlash, and Maury was that way. And I think when you look back to the early years of Maury's tenure, like Yao Ming got injured, Tracy McGrady got injured. They came back from a lot of stuff, and they always were evolving and they always were taking shots. And obviously, James, the James Harden trade was the biggest piece of that. And once they got Harden, it was always about trying to find the other star, the other stars. And they came close a couple of times, but never did. But I think like he was never afraid to go out and put himself on the line, whether it was by you know, trading for Russell Westbrook, which didn't work out at all, whether it was by trading all of his centers, every single one of them. Um like over the years, he always wanted to take shots at a title. And sometimes I, th- I think like the rest of the league was afraid of the Warriors. Right. And, and the Rockets weren't. Yeah. And he, the Rockets yeah, weren't. They, yeah. They really kind of just like said like, nah, we'll go up against these guys. Yeah. And I, now, I don't know if that was misguided. Like, like when you look at how it kind of played out, they ended up losing to the Warriors, of course, and they pushed them to seven, but they put their, their entire organization into a James Harden, Chris Paul duo that always had a shelf life, even though the shelf life was probably later than they ended up keeping onto those guys. Like there was, 
there was always a shelf life for that group. And they went after it with those guys while the Warriors were on top of the world and while the Warriors were going to be super, super difficult to beat. I, I actually think like most things went right for the the Rockets that year, right up until the Chris Paul injury. And most things went wrong for the Warriors. A lot of things went wrong for them. And and it almost happened. Like it almost happened. I think he gave himself so many chances that that you gotta respect a guy who's who always goes after it and always puts his team like within the margin of error of a championship. And I think that's that's where they've been for the last what, five, six years. Trey, uh my my issue with Maury has always been how he is in the media in terms of uh I've always felt that he was trying to win James Harden MVP first. And, and compete for championship second. And he was constantly complaining about Russell Westbrook, about Kawhi Leonard, about Giannis Antetokounmpo, like just these like biting marks in the, in the media trying to pump up Harden to get him MVP votes to get him the MVP. And so that annoyed me, but also like if I'm James Harden, Trey, I love that, right? Like, it, like he's doing right by his players. It doesn't matter if I like it, like he's doing right by his players and he's trying to, um, he's trying to create like this environment where they're going to feel like, Oh they have my back. Man, Homer's home at the end of the day. Yeah. You look at the situation. <laughs> look at the situation. Homer's like, home. <laughs> I mean, for real. Like, this, this James Harden basically saved his job. Like, you know, he bet on making this trade. He got executive gear. He's able to bring, like like we mentioned early on, I mean, I don't have to beat on a dead horse. He did a damn good job at his job, but they fell short of what they really needed to do. They haven't been clutch city and. 20 years or so, yeah. you know what I mean? So um, I don't, I don't think that, you know, they, they peaked as a mean and, and Matt Barnes said, and it was nothing else that he really could do outside of the outside clamor of the China tweet and, you know, the lack of success that they've had, you know, they got there and you know, Chris Paul got hurt. You can go down the line and just make excuses for this, this team, but it just didn't work anymore. So they have to try something new. And, you know, even the outside stuff with the owner, you know what I mean? Whether he's going to actually pay if he can't yeah. pay, you know, those, those are, those are other things that line. And it's kind of like, you need to jump ship. And I think that was the most easy and radical situation, the best situation for him. I'm going to ask you know? a question here that I've never really thought about before. Do you guys think that being so open about the Rockets quest to shoot so many three pointers and be analytically driven actually backfired against them? Because, like, if they hadn't talked uh, about it so. so much, if they had just been willing to just change their style of play and not gone out there and become Maury Ball and not gone out there and be like, we're doing this because of the numbers, then maybe it would have taken a little while for the rest of the league to kind of copycat that. I don't know. Maybe the NBA is smarter than that. Maybe everyone would have caught on anyway. But I do wonder if by talking about it as much as they did and by making it such a big deal – they made it easier for other teams to adapt like they did. No, I, I don't I think, think it's so. PR. It's PR. Yeah. It's straight well, up I also PR think, work. <laughs> was, I think he was, I think he was like, I think for him, it was as important to bring analytics into the forefront, forefront of the conversation. Like he invented this, the Sloan conference, right? Like it was important for him to say like, Hey, by the way, analytics work, we can hire all these other people like me to help things out or even run shit. 
Um, and I think that was as important as like competing for titles. Yeah. And I think the perception that the Rockets are doing something that's intellectually sound because it goes so far against what's been conventional wisdom in the NBA for so long. I think that it's just part of spreading the propaganda, right? Like we're right. doing this really smart, cool thing. And so, and the media is going to present it as really smart and cool, no matter what the sort of outcomes are. It's like, even if like, you can't argue with the math, you can argue with outcomes and they can always spit out process though. The process is sound. What they're doing is mathematically, you know, the the shit you should be doing. I think it's just defending your way of being publicly, you know, And, and, and that's important, honestly, when you're in that type of job. And I think he was very savvy for having done that. And I think, the sort of asceticification of NBA discourse is all Maury, right? Like it's all like this idea of winning the trades or doing something that is, that's all him. You know, I, I, I remember two things stick out in my mind. Um, I remember when the Knicks got Yoki Noah and admit, of course they paid too much. That third year was always, that fourth year was always egregious. It was a crazy number. The guy was obviously hurt. Whatever, whatever. It was bad. But I remember one of the like the sharpest um, sort of disagreements with the move was that they gave up assets, <laughs> um, Jerry and Grant. And I was like, look, man, I watched the Knicks play this kid's whole rookie season. I get that. He was a first rounder just last year. So he's an asset. I'm like, yeah, he was a first rounder. But if you watched him play, that's nobody's asset. You know, but like just that people would say that shows you Daryl Morey's influence on the discourse in NBA basketball and how teams are built or whatever. And AD, you know, like this idea that the Lakers gave up so much for AD. It's like this is not this is not the OKC Thunder. This right. isn't well, the they, Memphis they, Grizzlies. They gave up so much for him, but he's also fucking Anthony Davis. Right. Like he's <laughs> right. And also you need to understand that like when you're the Lakers, when you get stars, you are able to retain them. When yeah. you get stars and you're successful, stars are going to stay in L.A. and be there. And that's just nowhere. That's not, you know, I guess you can't prove that, like, you know, quantitatively or whatever. Right. Like, but I'm just saying, like, <laughs> I mean, look, at, look at Kawhi in Toronto. Right. Like, exactly. Exactly. I mean, that's an example. They, they did everything right. But it was yeah. like, yeah, I'd rather live in L.A. I'd rather live in San or San Diego in Kawhi's case. I mean, which, which was, get was we were there at the at the introductory press con or the media day where he said, "I like," and then they traded oh me my. to a different country. Yes, yo, right? He like said, he said, he said, you know, this is the first time I ever got to pick a place like since yeah. college. You know, I got drafted to San Antonio. Then he ah. said, I got traded to Canada. Right. <laughs> Pretty much. I mean, he, he, he got traded to the Raptors. To, to no, he's like, I got traded to, I got traded to Canada. <laughs> I was like, damn. Well, all right. I, I want to ask part of this. Part of this Maury story is, look, I think he stepped down because it was an easier way to come up with a buyout to get, allow Tillman to recoup some of the money. And he was going to get fired anyway. Right? Like, there have been whispers as soon as the Hong Kong tweet happened. Um, it was, well, he's not going to keep his job, right? But you can't come out and just outright do that. Like, there's a whole PR to it, right? And so then it becomes, once the trade deadline hits, he trades away Capella, says, hey, we're going small ball all the time. Then then Tillman has the out of, all right, this, if, you're not, if we're not successful, the, clearly we're not successful under you. It's time to go, right? But then if you outright fire him, you got to pay him all that money. And it sounds like they came to an agreement on a buyout. 
And so I'm imagining he didn't get all of that money, but at the same time, it makes it an easier PR hit to to have Maury step down than to just come out and fire him because then you get a lot of those other questions. And if anything, like I think I think this is great for Maury simply because it, whether he wants to stay in basketball or not, um, Tillman's got no money. Like Peace Tillman doesn't have money. Like when I was right, I wrote something for the Athletic. Uh, the day the the news broke, and I went went back to this Forbes article from 2017. This is how Tillman Fertitta reportedly paid for the Rockets, right? Like he didn't have even well, this is funny to say, but because it it's still a lot of money, but like he didn't have even 300 million dollars in cash to throw towards this, right? Damn, what kind um, of which, poor doesn't have 300? I know million it was dollars. like that's that's wealthy poor, right? But um, but Broke so this boy. Is, so this yeah, is a broke boy amongst billionaires. <laughs> but this is what he had to do. He took, according to Forbes, he took a, a loan from Les Alexander, who he was buying the team from. He, he took a $275 million loan from Les Alexander, who's selling him the team. That's insane to me from a, from just a business so standpoint. Les now, Alexander maybe I don't understand this shit. still technically owns the team. <laughs> I guess. I don't know, Waz. Like, I, I guess so. He also assumed existing debt of $175 million from Les Alexander. So already right there, we're talking $450 million from, like from less, essentially, that he, who he's buying the team from. Then he sold $1.4 billion in bonds to create $1.75 billion in equity to close the purchase. So like he didn't have money then to buy the team. He refuses, according to Tim McMahon of ESPN, he refuses to, to bring on minority owners because it's like almost a pride thing, right? Because he wants to know. Well, I thought I'm it was because he was Republican. Well, it might be. But, <laughs> oh no, <laughs> different was it? Different minority. Uh, my bad. Yeah, different minority. Yeah, we'll just say that. Um, and so, <laughs> and so he wants this whole like I'm from Houston. I bought the Houston Rockets. Like this is my team, my city, all this shit, right? Which fine if you have the money, but he doesn't have the money. And so moving forward, like. They were already penny pinching. Like Daryl Morey went into that that summer where Trevor Ariza walked to the Suns for a one year deal, telling Trevor Ariza, "We're not going to resign you." Not even negotiating, like ah, we can't come to a deal, saying we're not going to resign you. Now maybe Ariza was washed at that point, but to not even like try to get him cheaply, right? Like that, like that's that's according to Trevor Ariza. So I guess take it with a grain of salt in case there's some ill feelings there. But like Trey, like. This doesn't sound like this team has any money for the future to to make this a viable option, and they don't have flexibility anyway. Yeah, they're in an interesting situation. I don't know if he wants to sell a team or if you know if he can. I don't. I have no would idea. He, would it's, he even make money if he sold the team? Would he make money you know, off that investment? No, like I don't know. No, he'll be in debt, but at least his debt would be cleared. Probably, maybe he'll probably yeah. break even in that situation, but. I don't know if he's sweating bullets or not. Man, are the Rockets worth $2.2 billion? I was asking Zach. I was like, that seems high for the Houston Rockets, bro. Like, I mean, I don't look. Understand. It's before, Texas, though, bro. It's Texas. It's Texas. It's and when they, had, when they had ties to China, there's a lot of money coming in from China. Uh, yes, I don't know what yes, that looks like now. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. That's a fantastic point. And, so you know. Now when you actually look at it. Yeah. Go ahead, Watson. No, I was about to say, by the way, shouts to Les Alexander. Um, who Daryl Morey owes a lot to, um, and not just excluding the fact that he negotiated a contract extension right before the sale of the team goes down. So he basically saddled 
Tillman Fertitta with with um with with Maury and was like, and it's a five year extension. It's like, all right, if mm-hmm. if ever this guy wants to get rid of you, he's gonna have to come out of pocket to do so. So he yep. protected Daryl Morey before the sale even went through. So Daryl Morey should be thanking that man for that. And so, you know, and there's nothing and, and he, I see a lot of people in the media is like, yeah, Daryl, blah, 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 kind of got done this, then that. Daryl is fine. He got his money. He'll be able to get another job if he wants one. Um, and he's and he's out of a situation where, as Zach just mentioned, the Rockets are cheap as hell. They've mortgaged their future in order to bring in Russell Westbrook. And you know what's so funny? Um, I think I think I was reading Tim McMahon, um, and he was talking about the Westbrook Chris Paul deal and. Tillman felt like the Chris Paul deal was one of the worst contracts he'd ever seen in all his life in business. And I thought to myself, so what does he think about Westbrook's contract now? Because <laughs> it's longer. <laughs> I don't know. Is it, that, and for I a worse player. That was, exactly. I just thought that was an interesting tidbit that he was so disgusted by Chris well, Paul's now, hold deal. On. I, I don't think it's a worse player. I think it's a worse player next to James Harden. Sure, I, like Ru- Russ can still play. I'm not saying he can't play, but I'm he doesn't. He, he, he doesn't either. make their team better than Chris Paul did. That's for sure. And his I agree contract with that. Is longer. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, Chris Paul's a better fit alongside him. Uh, but like, if you gave me, hey, we're like, I need a point guard for this team. Is it Russ or is it Chris Paul? Like, I'm well, taking who would have been better for and the I'll, Thunder I'll, I'll this live. past year? What? Who would have been better for the Thunder this past year, Russ or um, Paul? Not Russ. I actually think it's probably the same. The same outcome. I, I I just think it's funny to call Chris Paul's assuming Russ is healthy and yeah. and wanting Russ like like just the, the idea that the Westbrook deal was so much better and you gave up stuff to do it um is 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 just hilarious to me. Well, that's that's hilarious, and that's the yeah. downside of going after it every year is that at the end of your tenure you're left with James Harden who's still awesome and some good players. And Russell Westbrook's contract, which is awful, and no real draft picks to trade for guys. I don't know where the Rockets go from here. I really don't. I know where they go. Call up the Knicks. Say, hey, you need a star. I got Russ. Always the Knicks. You want them? And there would be Sacramento, but they already have, you know, a Russ light ish player. So they're not going to do that so much so that they, you know, passed up on Luka Doncic. So I don't see them doing that. If, 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 if they weren't set at <laughs> Why did guard, you have to throw that dagger in there, Was? I'm just saying, Why man, did you have to mention Luca? Luca had nothing to do they, with this they conversation. Wanna, they didn't want to do it for Luca, so you why just, would they do it for us? Is what I'm saying. It's just, I'm, I don't know. Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Sam. That was so unnecessary. <laughs> um, so one thing, one thing that started getting whispered the other day, and I don't, I haven't seen anybody really write it. Um, I've just heard heard talks about it. And it's not even that like aggregators, James, aggregators, aggregated. <laughs> Mount up. <laughs> it's not even that James Harden is going to request a trade anytime soon, but it was the idea of like people looking at the situation and like I'm I'm talking like people who who know this shit, um, looking at the situation and saying, well, now James might look around, see this owner who doesn't have any money mm-hmm. allegedly, um, <laughs> see a team where you're kind of strapped. You don't have a coach, so if they don't hire John Lucas, um, who apparently you know Russ and, and James are, are pushing for, like let's say they go Jeff Van Gundy 
instead of instead of which I don't I don't see Jeff taking that job. But um, let's say they go Jeff and Gundy instead of John Lucas. Like James could look around, look at the situation, and just wonder why would I stick this out, right? Like he wants to win a title. Um, he want he he wants to be uh, you know, he wants to further that legacy and just kind of the idea of like he like within the next year he may be looking to get out of Houston. Well, I disagree, Zach. Okay. Just because James Harden has worked very hard to become, to be recognized. He loves attention. Yes. So I don't think him giving up the spotlight will be an option for him. Well, well he Trey, could he, could he, go, yeah, could he go somewhere else? I'm not saying like I, now he's going to try to join the Warriors or the Heat or something like that. Like he may Joe try to make, what if like, just for example, what if he decided, all right, I'd like to go have the, the bright lights of New York and be the star there. Right or uh, any, I mean, any decent he market. Couldn't, that's he got couldn't it. share it. it. He couldn't share the floor, though. That's the thing. Yeah, I that's don't, true. I don't see it. I mean, like, so I said, it would have he, to be like kind loves, of a perfect storm. He loves that Houston is his quote unquote city. He loves that he is the guy. He loves that he's the face. He has worked his entire life to be noticed and recognized. He has now a stature of this, and he plays hard and he does what he does. And whether he gasses out in the playoffs or just doesn't do whatever he does. Um, I just don't see it, you know, him axing out. He would have to be traded just because of what he's put into that community and everything. And it's not about, he's looking at it like, well, we didn't miss the playoffs. You know what I'm saying? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. I, the, the idea would be everybody obviously rumors him to Miami um, spots like that, but I just don't see him, you know, giving up the spotlight to be a second fiddle or to share it. Because he's a ball dominant guy. Even when Russ joined the team, it wasn't like, "Yeah, this is us." It's like I'm one, you're two, right? You know what I mean? Because he's been, <laughs> you know, he started his career as a third guy. He never, he didn't get the keys originally. And when they traded for him, it's kind of like the house that James built. Yeah. Even though they do have championships there, and he hasn't delivered one. But clearly, you see. I mean, I sometimes question his his drive or his motivation, what he's really focused on. He cares more about the MVP than the championship. And he cares about some other stuff off the court a lot. Well, yeah, well, I, well like, obviously you're not. He's, he's, and I he mentioned- might lead the league in that, honestly. Um, <laughs> his might? rep off the court is, is, is crazy. Um, and, you know, shouts to John Hollinger, because after the Rockets got eliminated, he wrote a piece about, like, what their future looks like. And it's like, look, it's going to get to a certain point where either the Rockets, like, what's the point of James Harden if we're stuck in the mud? Or Harden's going to be like, what's the point of the Rockets if we're stuck in the mud? Like, it seems inevitable that they're going to part ways at some point in the very near future. Yeah, I mean. 31 now? Yeah, he's 31. Yeah. That's crazy. His I mean, game, he's still he's his, still great. He's still right? game, like, good. He's still a, but his still game a, his game will age like fine wine. I will say that. I think so too. But yes. But the thing is also, and he takes damn good. He's it's rare that he miss games. I can yep. give him that. He's always available for his team um, when it comes to you know calling out the lineup. Now, as far as mental, sometimes you can question that part. Um, and, and I mentioned uh, a few days ago, I said the bubble exposed a lot of guys of who really love it and who don't. And I don't think that he doesn't love basketball, he but loves then there's a burnout, there's a, but there's a burnout for him. I feel. Mm-hmm. And I want to, and yeah. I want to boss it over this, but Jade's not on the call. 
Whatever, I'll give him a note anyway. Well, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll give him a note. 27 and a half minutes. Um, yes. So, <laughs> the shit you hear about... crazy but i i think i think i don't think that they have the balls to do it this offseason although i think if they put james harden on the market they could get some real shit for oh him yeah you could because he's too. incredible still um but i think they're gonna run it back next year for sure I and think, there's enough excuses with the bubble because like the bubble is like beauty in the eye of the beholder right like the right. suns are saying the bubble is everything Right? Like, we won eight games. We were the team of the freaking seeding games. The bubble was fucking... Look at what we did in the bubble. The Rockets can say, you know what? Russ had COVID. You know, we were uncomfortable in Florida. Blah, 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 blah. It's like, however you want to spin the bubble, you can. And I think the Rockets are going to spin it that. We should run it back and see how it looks. But how how do they run it back and actually think they have a chance? Like, I don't think they can. <laughs> There's, I, well, there's I mean, the, no the chance is, for that team. The thought is just, we have James Harden. Let's see how far he'll take us. That right? and before the, the 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 shutdown, Russ was playing basically the most efficient ball of yeah, his and life. He got, like to be fair, he got injured. He had COVID. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, for sure. This is like he like yeah, him to convince yourself. Him not yeah, him not being. I'm not saying it would have worked anyway, but like I do think there are real reasons why he wasn't that good in the bubble. Yeah, no. like that. Like those are some. Like he had For a quad. Sure. I think quad injury, right? A quad injury, and then he had, he was getting over COVID. Like I, I'm, I'm willing to say, like I, I didn't think it was going to work before that. I don't think it will work after that. But I'm not. I, I'm willing to not kill him over but that. He has a long history of kind of losing his mind when it matters most, and and doing dumb, dumb stuff. And when you have James Harden on your team. That's even more magnified because you're not taking possessions away from a regular dude. You're taking them away from James Harden. And so I think that's one issue. I think the other issue is they have a roster that no longer has any bigs. They don't really have many trade assets. Some of their coach, some of their veterans are, you know, probably overpaid like Eric Gordon. How much value would, would, some of those guys yeah, having a trade. They don't have many draft him. picks left. The coach who, yeah. who was cool with going super small all the time is gone. Like, that organization has a ton of question marks. And yeah. I don't know if there are any answers in the short term. And that's why I think it's it's right to talk about Harden's future. And I think it's right. I think other teams should be circling around and looking at it. P.J. Tucker, looking at Robert Covington, looking at some of their other better players and thinking, eh, I wonder what they're going to do over there. I wonder if any of these guys will become available anytime soon. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? 
Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. All right. So speaking of teams that were terrible in the bubble and have a lot of questions, the Clippers hired a coach, guys. And now, all right. <laughs> that Ty was Lu- quite a lead in. I like that. Ty Lu goes to the Clippers. Ty Lue Lue stays with the Clippers, I should say. And so I'm still not going to trust them. Even with Kawhi, I'm still – I'm out on the Clippers, okay? I'm out for all of next season. I'm out until they're halfway through that championship parade. They get a quarter away through the championship parade, I'm still going to doubt them. But once they get halfway through that parade, I'm I'm willing to be open to it. Um, But, Waz, something that did make me feel a little bit better about them going into next season is I think if the chemistry issues were as bad as some feared – Ty would have looked at that situation and gone, fuck that, I'll go coach the Pelicans, right? right. Or I'll go coach yep. somewhere else, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and and at least, I think I said this last week, I can't remember, but at least from what I had heard from people around New Orleans, uh, Ty was set to take that New Orleans job before wow. the Doc Rivers stuff happened. Wow. Like, it wasn't a done deal, but it was like they were very confident wow. that, that, that Ty was going to be wow. the guy. Um, some people I trust around there. So, uh so whether that's true or not, um, you know, Ty has options. And, and to look at that Clippers team and say, yeah, there were the, this issue, this issue, and this issue this year, but I feel like I can make it work. That does make me feel a little bit better about them. Does it, though? Because Ty Lu took over the Cleveland job when LeBron and Kyrie clearly didn't really get along. And he, he won a title for them. And, and he made it work for them, so... Maybe you can win a title, but that doesn't necessarily make me believe that Ty Lue looks at it and is like, you know what? These guys all get along. Yeah, but he didn't he didn't he didn't take over that job like, like he took it over because he was the interim coach and then they made him the coach, right? Like essentially. Yeah, he was in a like different he, like he place was already in his career, of course. Yeah. You're right. Yeah. Now he's got I mean, he turned down the Lakers because they wouldn't give him five years. Right? Like he's yeah. he's got he's got some power and some say in the, in all this stuff now that he didn't have then. So to end, there's still options out there. Like Pelicans would be a good job. Hell, you could even talk me into Ty Lue thinking, yeah, I can do that. I can make this Houston thing work. Like right. you, like I wouldn't I wouldn't agree necessarily, but you could yeah. talk me into that into the thought process there, right? So he had options. Um, and I this do is think, the best job. Come on, of of the ones that came open, I think I it's think the best just, job if you if you believe the headaches won't be. You know, so so bad. Or if 100%. you want to live in LA. Well, also. Yeah, that's true. And Coach Kawhi and Paul George. I have these notes, but I gotta say, I'm just fired up to be here today. Pretty cool. Pretty damn cool. Woo! I don't know what it's like to be rich and live in LA, but I don't think anybody wants to coach Paul George. It's pretty cool. (laughs) (laughs) I would imagine it's pretty damn good when you're freaking filthy rich. Yeah, and Um, I take like nine mil a year, you know, instead of the instead of the four you make. Yeah, and and that's the (laughs) thing. Very funny, (laughs) and that's and that's the thing about 
the the Clippers signing him to that to that long deal and lucrative deal. It's like, look, Nash got eight mil to go mm-hmm. to Brooklyn as a rookie coach. He's never even won a championship like Ty Lue has, right? Never coached and the game. He, <laughs> he's never even coached the game, right? And Ty Lue's record in the playoffs is kind of unassailable. Like, the guy has had success in the playoffs. Like, yes, they lost the two years when Golden State created a juggernaut. But, um, you know, they, they, they've they been good in the playoffs. They've made adjustments. And I think the part, Ty Lue is sort of a tacticianer. I don't think he's gotten enough credit for that. I think you're going to see the Clippers value shooting as far as the lineups they put out there more. Way more than Doc did because Doc, for whatever reason, is just indifferent towards three-point shooting. That's just one of the things, the, one of the only things about Doc that got on my nerves as a coach um, was just, besides the fact that he would make fun of people in the media room and he would get people to laugh at it. Um, oh, the yucks. Oh, the yucks. <laughs> I don't know a lot of places that that would happen, but it happened today. So whoever that was, you could have had free tickets if you hadn't ran away. So anyway, thanks, um, guys. But, but like, I think just tactically as a coach, I think you're going to see them their offense sort of open up next year, which I'm really excited about because I thought I was somebody who thought they should have leaned into what they had, which is like versatility on the wing as far as having a bunch of six foot six to six foot nine guys and, and being super versatile and switchable and just spreading people out and kicking their ass on offense, right? Like you don't have a point guard, but if you spread people out and force people to play Kawhi Leonard and Paul George in space one-on-one, um, that's that, those are good outcomes for you. And even Kawhi and Paul George, even though nobody would accuse them of being Braun and James Harden as far as playmaking, like when you spread people out and you can see where the doubles are coming from, even those guys can playmake under those circumstances. And I don't think Doc did enough to sort of um, amplify that. You know, he was very dedicated to always having somebody who, you know, projects as a big man, if you will. Um, and I think Ty Lue is going to bring a different sort of, approach to that on offense and you know the personality stuff I don't think the Clippers personality stuff is as toxic as Chris Paul and Blake Griffin and DeAndre and them right and where you had Chris Paul beefing with the coach too not only was he beefing with Blake Griffin yeah, he's beefing, he's, with everybody. He's beefing like, with that, everybody that's the Chris Paul honeymoon story right that first year is always great and then after that it's like this guy will not is, shut know, the fuck up right <laughs> and I don't think the Clippers thing is that toxic but um you know I think I think it'll be fine, man. I, I think if you're a Clipper fan, you should be excited about this. But the Clipper question to me is, what are their next moves? Because I, I I think you can lean into this roster, and obviously they're starting from a better place than almost any team with Kawhi Leonard, Paul George, other talent around them. But I do think some of their roster flaws were on display during the first year of, of this group. And one of those being that they don't have that playmaker, like you said, was two of them being that some of their best players are defensive minuses. And you can rely on Kawhi Leonard and Paul George to cover up a lot of mistakes. But at some point it matters that you have Lou Williams, that you have Montrez Harrell, that you have guys, people will attack. And, and that to me is, is an issue that, that they've got to figure out a way to, either masked by their coaching or go away from one of those guys, move one of those guys, like, like figure it out a little bit. I I do think this roster needs, needs a, a, a lift a little bit. So the upgrade that I'm seeing right now, obviously, and allegedly they want a new point guard and point guards are very vital. Um, point guards that can actually shoot are very helpful um, to championship success. It's been proven. 
But uh, I'm looking at a couple options, right? Russell Westbrook. I don't know about the shooting part, Oof, but man. from L.A., um, plays Oof. extremely hard. Not if he sure was, if how he was willing to be a distributor, Trey, like and not do those takeovers, I'd be in. I'd be open to the idea because that would essentially make him the third guy behind Kawhi and Paul George, just from a scoring standpoint. And he, I do think he's right. a, a solid playmaker. Then we have Derrick Rose. Um, Derrick Rose has been playing exceptionally well um, the last couple of years. He was great for um, Detroit really, last year. It's just no one not really knows. high, not really high maintenance as far as needing the ball, can't shoot the ball, still um, can can play a, a shadow a little bit, third, fourth fiddle guy for them, and can get a bucket when needed and make smart plays. Um, then we got Kyle Lowry, could get like expected a, a crazy big payout, just maybe a one year thirty mil deal, um, which is you know for that guy, him being reunited with uh, Kawhi or um, just a change of scenery, you know what I mean? And, 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 uh, just getting a big payout for one year. And if he happens to want to return wherever he wants to go, um, would be a good look. Um, but there's, there's so many guards out right now that, that are available, um, that could fill that void, but they need to make sure that they have someone that can run the offense and can shoot. And with Patrick Beverly and Reggie Jackson, they just wasn't the options. Um, so it's interesting to see. And I know PG got a lot of slack and uh, for, for the stuff he said, but I think he comes back a better player. I think they, like I said, it, it, chemistry is everything, no matter how it looked and how, how hard people push for this team and rally that they would be immediate contenders because of the, the makeup of the roster. You still have to put in the time and just the, the inconsistency. It was a team that did not want to go to the bubble. They treated this, they quit the season in March, basically. So when the bubble happened, you know, you got guys making, you know, despite their outside situations, they never really kind of bought into the bubble. And it showed. You know, it was it was deaths in the family. It was, you know, Lou Wolf fiasco, PG dealing with some some uh some anxiety stuff. Like it was just so much going on in that situation. And then uh it was rumored to like, you know, Doc playing guys that was out of rotation that never really played with certain guys that just threw everything off and you can go down the line with certain um, excuses. But at the end of the day, I think that they'll bounce back with the time put in together. And um, if they can bring in the right point guard, that fits. But I do not think I'm not endorsing Russell Westbrook in this situation. Yeah. I would yeah, love, he, I would love have, for them to get up. I would love Derrick Rose though right now. I think, see, I think Derrick, I mean, they're, I think they're going to have to race the Lakers to Derrick Rose from what it sounds like, right? Like, I think, I think that would be a good addition because he is so low maintenance and, and he's, he's just been really good the last couple of years. Um, the Lowry one actually introduced, like, that interests me the most, but making the money work to get him. Lowry would make them incredible. Yeah. But, but the money, making the money work is really complicated in that deal to, to get him there. Cause I think he does. Well, you don't pay trash, you let trash walk. I think Trez is gone. First of all, so the thing, the funny thing about Trez is that all year, everybody around the team thought Trez was gone because he was going to get some big, big payday. And they were like, all right, he's going to be gone. So they've been operating as a team that wasn't going to have him next year. I don't know why him stinking it up in the playoffs would change that. Like, if anything, it should reinforce the idea that yeah, like, if anything, it's just like, gone. <laughs> yeah, I would. Man, I don't I don't know if 
I would want to retain him, which might sound crazy. Yeah, nah. I'm... Trez, go get that Hawks money. Yeah, go 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 get whatever. <laughs> go get that Charlotte money. Go get go get that money. Ooh, Memphis maybe, right? Get yeah. that Memphis bread. Yeah. Uh, but but yeah, I, I if I'm the Clippers, I'm letting that dude walk. And the thing is, like the especially when the center position is where you can get the most for the least financially. I don't know why I would bring this dude back I, I, rather than just take a flyer on a guy who can give me quality minutes at center um, next season. I don't know why I need yeah. a dude who, again, he produced offensively like 18 points a game. That's nothing to sneeze at, but that's not what they need, you know? So I, I'd be, yeah, there I were nights where there were nights where they needed it, but like, not like oh, we need this from Trez every single, well, I guess in no. the bubble they did in the playoffs. That would have been nice. Because he was yeah, so bad defensively that he needed something offensively for him. Right. Um, yeah, I mean, I also think, like, there's something to, there's something to, like, the the regime change with having Lou take over. A lot of that camaraderie and chemistry can be built on the court in practice, right? Which is just not something they did a whole lot of. And maybe that would, like, look, it. I think having Kawhi as the star... And and Doc as the coach was kind of this perfect storm of like, uh, and not, it's not that Kawhi doesn't want to practice. It's like there's a whole like kind of you know load injury management situation going on where he wanted to pace himself, and it just worked the previous year. And so I think Doc looked at that and he's like, well, shit, I got a I got a 10 a.m. tea time anyway. This worked for me, Kawhi. Like, yeah, like, you guys just you know do some individual work today. We'll do some film session, and then I'll get out of here. Wait, Doc right? Rivers is into golfing. Never, never. Yeah, yeah, you know, you never you hear you hear these things here and there, Waz. You have to be a true insider to know that Doc Rivers loves loves to golf instead of practice. But you know, like there there's a lot there where I think a lot of the issues because it you know, Amin Amin Hassan and I talked about this a lot on the radio throughout that whole thing where it looked like just like a bunch of dudes who had just met playing basketball. Mm-hmm. And, but they were all really good. And they could figure that shit out at times, but they didn't. You never felt that chemistry on the court with those guys, and and that's the thing where like, all right, you get into those tight situations where you're blowing a three-one lead, and you don't know, you don't feel comfortable like these guys next to me. And it's not that you have bad chemistry to where you don't like each other. It's just you're not you're not familiar enough playing alongside those guys. Whereas you look at what the Lakers did, they had phenomenal chemistry on that team. Yeah, phenomenal chemistry, and so when they got into you know the few tight spots they were in during that postseason, they came out on top because they they trusted each other. I don't think the Clippers ever had that trust, but I think the, yeah, they, the Lakers they never had the the time to because of all the people not playing, which has been sure. Sad, yeah, but and that also threw a huge wrench into like, right. Paul George missing the whole start of the season, and Kawhi obviously being in and out of the lineup, and Beverly was hurt, and all of these people missed a lot of time. So they never got they they, they made the Markeith trade at the deadline. Like they they never got fully acclimated ever, you know. And and part of it was it wasn't just Kawhi was low managing and they weren't taking it as serious. It was that they didn't physically have guys available a lot of times. Sorry, um, I, I cut you off, Jay. No, yeah, I was just gonna say to to me the Lakers made sense chemistry wise because their roster made sense. It was that was going to be a defensive minded team from day one. And I think Frank Vogel did a great job tapping into it. I think he did a great job getting LeBron to buy in, Anthony Davis to buy in. But the rest of the supporting cast was there to knock down a random shot, in Rajan Rondo's case to make some passes and in everybody else's case, play defense. And I think that whole team bought into it. The The Clippers, 
like they their roster doesn't make as much sense. And I think they were more talented if you go man to man than than the Lakers. But the Lakers knew it. LeBron was going to make most of the plays. Anthony Davis was going to do a whole lot of finishing and a whole lot of defending. And then the rest of the guys were just going to lock up. I don't think the the Clippers ever really had that. And Doc See, Rivers, I, Doc I Rivers is normally really good at, at getting guys to buy into roles. But, like, they just their, – their roster to me never quite made sense. And I think it was easy to overlook it. Because you looked at Pat Beverly, you looked at Lou Williams, you looked at Montrez Harrell, you saw how much they accomplished without Paul George and Kawhi Leonard. And then you saw those guys added in there, and it's like, damn, those guys have a chance to be really special. But I think everybody overlooked the whole time that there were like real roster issues. And I don't think it necessarily had everything to do with chemistry, or even even like playing more would have been the answer for for them like playing more together practicing more whatever the case i i do think this roster needs some tweaks i think their their identity ideally would have been an inverse of the lakers in the sense that the lakers are a defensive team who's like we're gonna strap when we that's gonna be our identity and we're gonna be able to eke out just enough buckets to get the job done ultimately in the end i think the clippers should have been an offensive team flying up and down the court taking a shit ton of threes and having just enough defensive personnel to string together important stops at the end of games or you know at five minutes left like to be able to hound people on the perimeter and have Zoo be their stopgap in the back and sort of have enough defensive talent to get it done when needed. But they should have been straight up an offensive team. Like, again, and it's not – I don't want to shit on Doc, but they never – I remember asking them in, in after a game, like Kawhi had finally taken something like nine or ten threes in a game, and Kawhi is one of the best shooters in the league at, at scale, at volume. But he just wasn't doing it for whatever reason for most of the season – and I asked Doc about it specifically. He's like, ah, I don't think about it. I just want Kawhi to score. I'm not worried about if it's threes or if it's twos. I'm like, damn, like Doc really just don't give a fuck about threes. But is that but I part think that's of, how they should have been playing, though? That's part of who Kawhi is, right? Or who he's always been. Like he he's always been a mid range guy, and I don't think it's a problem because like he gets to his spots, he shoots an incredible percent from the mid range. He's he's obviously an incredible player, but the other places he had so much playmaking around him. And he had shooting around him. And like Toronto, Kyle Lowry was making a lot of the plays. When he was in San Antonio, it was Duncan. It was Tony Parker. It was Manu Ginobili. When L.A., like they had Lou Williams. But other than that, they didn't have that. And I I think at some point, like Kawhi does have limitations. And I I think just being like Kawhi, we, we want you to shoot a lot of threes. Well, coach he could have said like that that takes away from how great i am and who i am but also like if you had that playmaker that we talked about earlier you could set him up for some easy buckets yeah right like in that and that maybe plays into that and also the one thing that i forgot all year that i and and i just i ignored it all year and i think we need to remember they're still the fucking clippers (laughs) i mean that's that's the biggest hurdle they have is they're the fucking clippers so that's gonna be that's gonna be tough to overcome, even with Ty Lewis the coach. I have these notes, but I gotta say I'm just fired up to be here today. It's pretty cool, pretty damn cool. Woo! And look, I think I'm a little biased in the sense that I was there up close when the Clippers looked their best this season. 
right? So it's hard for me to completely write off the core of what they have because I've seen it look so incredible, right. you know? And, and so that's why I'm a little bit more bullish, I guess, on them than other people might be after and the you, bubble. And you saw it a couple of times against the Lakers. Now, it's just, it's right, just regular exactly. season games, it but was, you saw but, it. Yeah, that saw game against Boston, right? Like, there was some... There was Man, some... the game against Boston where it was Kawhi and Paul George taking turns swallowing up their perimeter players. Like, Kemba Walker could barely get a freaking shot up at the end of that game. And um, he's from New York. Played. Right, which is... <laughs> <laughs> Let me down that day, Kimbo. Yeah. But no, <laughs> but no, that game in in LA against them to watch them swarm and just sort of bottle up Boston's best thing, which is their perimeter players, and watch the Lakers. I mean, excuse me, the Clippers' two best players and Pat Beverly just be all over guys. You know, like that's what I mean. Like at the end of the games, man, if you want to come at me with your your wing guys who are, who are supposed to be the heartbeat of your team, we can take that away from you. Um, I, I just think I just think they have a lot to work with, and I think they're going to be right there so long as they make the necessary tweaks this offseason. If you're as obsessed with basketball as I am, then you know there's no better time of year than the NBA playoffs. Hey guys, this is JJ Redick. Twice a week, I'm cooking up something special for basketball junkies on my podcast, The Old Man and the Three. I bring on guests in all stages of their careers to talk about the league and share stories you won't hear anywhere else, like Devin Booker on why he talks so much trash, or Paulo Bencaro on his shooting workouts with Kevin Durant, Ray Allen's epic free throw competitions with LeBron when they were teammates in Miami. But it's not just about the player interviews. Every Monday, I break down the top three things happening around the NBA without the outlandish takes. Often joined by masterminds of the game like Tim Legler, we dive deep into topics like rookie reports, trade breakdowns, and why is mean mugging now a tech? The Old Man of the Three is the only companion podcast you'll need during the playoffs this year. Be sure to listen to The Old Man of the Three ad-free on Wondery Plus or wherever you get your podcasts. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service that you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. I want to, um, we're going to end this on a bit of a sad note, but hopefully a celebratory one in a way because uh, the NBA community did lose uh, a, a very, like, just lovable, likable person in, in BJ Johnson who was a scout in, in Houston um, due to a, a horrific bike accident. And, you know, when people in the NBA pass or NBA family pass and everything, I think you usually get like kind of the, I don't want to say obligatory because that makes it sound insincere, but it's just usually like a lot of, oh, damn, I can't believe this. Like, rest in peace, you know, thoughts and prayers to his family. Um, but when the news that, that BJ had passed, uh, you could like, even through like tweets, social media posts, whatever, like you could see like this truly affected the NBA world. And I, I didn't know him. I, I met him a couple of times. Um, I would never pretend to, to have known him, but, uh, but Trey, like, you know, a, a lot of the people, you know, like, they, like everyone had just, I, I never heard a bad word about it. I, you saw just an outpouring of people, um, you know, really grieving in real time over, over the tragic loss of, of BJ. Like what, what did, what can you say about it? I mean, 
like you said, I mean, to, to, to highlight off of it, man, the NBA lost a real one. Like this is a guy that really loved his job. Not only did he care about the players in his organization, he, you know, he looked out for players that weren't even on his team, guys that are, that didn't believe in themselves. He always had the words of encouragement for them. Um, served as a mentor, was able to pick up the phone whenever to talk basketball, to talk life. Um, man, a lot of people were affected by this loss, man. And this, you know, it's unfortunate, um, because he was a great dude, you know, I mean, Jamal Crawford to whoever it is, this guy's just not even in the league, but just during the time, you know what I mean? Like Gerald Morey even mentioned that the the first guy that he reached out to and who was very instrumental to his career was PJ. You know what I mean? When you look in those scenarios of, you know, just not even from a basketball point, just, to, you know, being a man, a good, good person and all that other stuff. It's just a, a, a tough blow to the organization, you know, overall, because, you know, he has so much life to live, you know, and I, I do think that he gave his all, but also gave his all to people too. And I don't think that will, will ever be, you know, go unnoticed. You know, he kept a smile on his face and was always positive and believing in people. So I think if anyone's to carry on BJ's, you know, legacy is just, you know, believe in yourself as much as possible, even when people are down you. Yeah, he like he had a he had a lot of people that um that he encouraged and and gave great advice to from from what it sounds like um I I kind of kind of look at it as and and then and, you know look it's not the same job not same um you know kind of impact I guess but uh it reminded me like the stories I was hearing and and, and that people told in in private conversation stuff it reminded me a lot of John Lucas right like the the way people revered John Lucas also a Houston guy who yeah. may end up coaching Houston again. Um, just like the ultimate mentor almost and maybe not even trying to be a mentor just trying to be a person um, just trying to be a good person but like it it just kind of naturally gravitated into mentorship um, that's going to do it for this episode of the Basket Buds edition of the Athletic NBA show make sure you're subscribed to the Athletic get all the great coverage there uh, you can get the podcast without ads if you're into that or subscribe on any of those podcast platforms and you get the ads and you get all of our uh, fantastic nicknames for each other like Jay's uh, Baker Jayfield. Right. <laughs> you should never have said that. That was a mistake in retrospect. It was a mistake. <laughs> it was absolutely a mistake. All right. For, for Trevon Edwards, for Wazzy Lambray, for Jay King, I'm Zach Harbour. This has been the Athletic Podcast Show. Make sure you check it out on the Athletic Podcast Network and all the great shows throughout the rest of the week right here on the Athletic Network.